You're listening to a sermon from Redeeming Life Church. Good morning. morning. Feels good to say good morning. Normally we've been meeting at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, so it feels kind of good to be in the morning. Um, Thank you guys for uh, being here this morning. If you guys are new, my name is Brett Riceley. I'm on staff with Redeeming Life Church as the Minister of Outreach and Discipleship. Um, This is a blessing to be here this morning. As Ben said, God's been moving pretty fast, and it's exciting for us to be in this space together this morning. Um, so if you're a guest with us today, we're glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. We're truly glad to be in the Rose Park area and to be in the Rose Park community. We're glad that you are here with us this morning and hope that you'll continue to journey with us as we seek to uh, be salt and be light here in the Rose Park community. So um, at this time, uh, if you guys have kids that are walking to toddler age through up to preschool or thereabouts, we're going to dismiss the kiddos at that age range right now with Josh and Bell. Josh is standing in the back right there. So if you kiddos want to go, uh, for the rest of you that aren't kiddos, going to kids ministry, if you guys would turn to Romans 13. Romans 13 is where we're going to be at this morning. And as the kiddos go, let's just, I'm just going to say a quick prayer for them as they go. Um, Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for the joy it is to gather with, the, with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ to worship together, and to study under Your Word this morning, Father. I pray that You would bless the kiddos. I pray that You would bless Josh and Bell. Thank You for their service in teaching these young kids what it means to be a follower of Jesus at such a young age. I pray that You would grow their character and grow their maturity as little believers. God, I just thank You for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So for those of you that are joining us for the first time this morning, we have been in a series for the last few months in Romans. Um, and so today as we're in Romans 13, I thought I would just kind of catch everyone else up that maybe if you're joining us for the first time today, kind of give you a background of where we've been so that we kind of know, understand what we're talking about today. And so for the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul... The Apostle Paul, who's the author of Romans, has been writing to us about a lot. Um, Basically, in a small nutshell, um, Paul has been writing to us in the first 11 chapters about what the theological foundation is for the Christian life. And most of that including the fact that we as human beings are born in a sinful nature. We are born naturally bent towards sin and that the only way to satisfy the wrath of God was Jesus Himself. And so, Paul, that is a very short nutshell. In short, Jesus Himself becomes the reconciliation to the sin that we are born into, the sin that we carry. Jesus died for all of those sins, past, present, and future. And so, Paul lays out this groundwork saying that the theological foundation that we need to know and understand is incredibly important. It's incredibly important because right thinking leads to right living. Okay, and so if we have, you guys know, many of you have been on a construction site, you know that if you, you build a foundation of the house, it's probably the most important part of the house, right? Because if you get the foundation right, you build on top of that, you add, you add the frame, you add the roof, you add everything else inside, the house is going to stand. But if you screw up the foundation and you build everything on top of that, at some point over time, that foundation will warp, it will crack, and the whole house comes tumbling down, right? And so the same is true in our, in our lives as Christians. If we don't have our theological foundation right first, which is everything found in this book, as Ben said, it's inerrant, it's perfect, it's without flaw. If we have our theological foundation correct first, everything built on top of that in terms of our thinking about how to live the Christian life will then have a proper foundation to stand. Okay? And so right thinking reads, leads to right living. Okay, And so this is basically the, the nutshell of what Paul is beginning to tell us in the first 11 chapters of Romans. Last week, Paul um, talked about being, being living sacrifices. And Brian, who is our lead pastor, who's not here this morning, he'll be back next week. But he talked to us about being living sacrifices, how 
Every moment of our day, every day, we get up and we should be dying to ourselves. A living sacrifice. We put ourselves on the altar of denial, self-denial. And we say, not my will be done, Lord, but yours. Living every day is a living sacrifice. And so this morning, that brings us to kind of where we are today. Okay, and so we will be in Romans 13, beginning in verse 1. But right before, before we get into that, um, just want to say up front, the main idea today that we're going to talk about is the fact that in Romans 13, as we talk about submission to authority, Paul wants us to see that it is our responsibility as kingdom citizens to act with integrity and to act responsibly as kingdom citizens that happen to live on this earth as earthly citizens, okay? And so we have this idea of a dual citizenship that we have to deal with before we even jump into this. Dual citizenship, many of you understand probably right away what that means. We have two places to which we are citizens of. The first and primary one, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian today, is the kingdom of God. We are citizens of the kingdom of God first. That is our primary calling. We submit first and foremost to God, to His rule, to His reign, to this thing which is a part of God's authority, to part of God's kingdom is everything in this book. So we are kingdom citizens first and foremost. We are not earthly citizens first and foremost. Although we are human, although we are made of flesh, we are finite creatures made by God. Our first and primary calling is to be a citizen of the kingdom. Okay, then the king is Jesus. Okay, our second calling then as Christians is how do we live in this place in Rose Park, in Salt Lake City, in Utah? How do we live as kingdom citizens in an earthly sense? And that's our second piece of the citizenship is we are earthly citizens as well. Okay, so Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.13, you'll need to turn there. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Okay, so if you are a believer this morning, God has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God. So you are a citizen of the kingdom of God first. That is where your primary responsibility and calling lies. Secondly, and what Paul is going to talk to us today is, as a citizen of the kingdom, then how do we live as a kingdom, as a citizen of this earth? Okay? So Paul wants us to see that being a Christian and submitting to the laws of the land of this earth are not two mutually exclusive things. We don't just serve God and we say, to the wayside with everything on this earth. But we also don't stand on the earth and say, I'm just a citizen here, I have nothing to do with God. Okay? There is a balance and they both go together. And Paul's going to show us how that works. So take a look at Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Romans 13, starting in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Okay, when he says governing authorities, what does that mean? It means pretty much anything on this earth that, you can, that we can establish as an authority. Civil government, uh, judges, police, you name it. Any governing authority that's on this earth is what he's referencing here in this passage. And he says there is no authority except from God. And none of the authorities that exist would not exist if God had not established them. And so every authority that we find ourselves under as a human on this earth, we are subject to because God made it. God made the authority. He established the authority. The offices that those authorities hold, we are accountable to, to be subject to. Okay? So living... Um, Living our lives in submission to authority is probably a sensitive topic for some of us, maybe more than others, because some of us, including myself, have authority problems, 
right? Can any of you relate to having an authority problem ever in your life? Past, present, or future? Okay, I'll be the first to admit that I do. I have family that did. I have friends that did. I think at some level, all of us struggle with authority. And it may not be with, it may be with our parents. It may be with the law. It may be with government. It may be with the president. It may be authority to God. It may be that we don't want to submit to God because we want to do our own thing. How many of you can relate to that? I know I can. Okay, and so we have this tension constantly of saying, who governs my life? Who says so? Right? Okay? Can you imagine um, the context of Romans is written to Jewish and Gentile Christians in Rome? Okay? Rome was a place that didn't like Christians. And that's putting it lightly. Rome, the Roman Empire, was the empire that had Christ crucified that we just celebrated on Easter. And so as Paul writes this to Jewish and Gentile Christians in Rome, imagine what they're thinking. They just killed our Christ. The early church is just starting to blossom. There's persecution. There's oppression. And Paul is writing us to tell us to submit to those guys. And so this, this would be mind-boggling to say the least, is how does that work? How do I be subject to a person, to an authority, to an empire that just killed our leader? Okay, and Paul is saying, look, as kingdom citizens, you honor God by the way that you submit to the authority that God has put under you. And we'll get into more later in a few verses. We'll talk about, well, what happens when the government is not good? What if they're corrupt? Do we still submit? Do we just, are we just yes men? What do we do with that? Okay, so we'll get to that in a couple minutes. But imagine and have that in your mind that... Early, the earliest believers struggled with this tension of submitting to the authorities above them, probably not agreeing at all with a lot that was going on in their culture and in their society. Yet Paul says, as a Christian, we must. And he'll go on and explain why. Okay. So one commentator writes to this topic. He says, to disobey the authorities that God has established is to disobey God himself. Okay. To disobey the authorities that God has established is to disobey God himself. A human government is a divine ordinance, and the power it exercises has been entrusted to it by God Himself. Why? For the repression of crime and the encouragement of righteousness. Therefore, Christians of all people ought to be people that obey the law, pay their taxes, respect authorities, and not because it'll be worse for you, but because this is one way that we serve God. Okay? In order to live with integrity and act responsibly as kingdom citizens, we must willfully and joyfully submit to the authorities that God has established in our life, in our world, in our culture, and in our society without resisting them. Those who do right and have no need, those that do right and obey the laws, they, they have no fear of the authorities. Those that are honest people that are trying to follow the laws and follow the rules, there is no fear for those of us that want to obey and want to submit to the authorities. Okay? In fact, those of us that try to do that, civil leaders will commend that. What civil leader would not commend us for being honest, for paying taxes, for abiding by the laws? Okay? We, have no, we don't need to fear the authority. The authority is not necessarily um, it's not meant to be something that punishes us unless we cross the line. And we'll get into that in a couple seconds as well. Titus 3.1 speaks to this as well when he says, Remind them, Christians, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. So by submitting to the authorities around us, we submit to God and honor Him with our obedience. Okay? As faithful followers of Jesus Christ, one of our main goals as the Christian life is to walk in obedience with our Father. Amen? Amen. Part of that is this. How many of you, those of you that have kids know, do kids always want to be obedient? Yes. 
No. No, thank you. No. Resounding no. I have a four-year-old, and there's a, a daily basis, although I love him to death, on a daily basis, he tests my patience in terms of how he obeys me and my wife. Does that mean that my son is evil and corrupt? No. My son is learning obedience because he's four. And just as we as Christians are learning to follow Jesus in every aspect of our lives, we have to learn step by step what it means to be obedient to God. And this is one way. Okay? So look at, look at verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, as we just said. Okay? We don't need to fear the authorities if we're doing right. But they are a terror to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. You will receive his approval, excuse me. For he is God's servant for your good. Okay, let's stop right there. So Paul is saying that the authorities that God has established, let's say police, let's say judges, let's say the president, these are all authorities that are acting as God's servant for our good. Do you believe that? I know a lot of times... A lot of Christian circles talk very negatively about pretty much everything related to government and authority. As if they are the enemy, as if that is the problem. Now, there's nuances to that, and it's not black and white. I'm not saying that they're not the problem. But what we are saying is the heart of the matter is as Christians, keep in mind our first priority is kingdom citizens. Submitting to God means we submit to the authorities because they're actually servants of God. Now, that blew my mind. I, I had never really noticed this when I'd read this. But multiple times, I think two or three times, Paul states that the established authority here on earth are acting as God's servants for our benefit. Okay? And in verse 4, if we go down the next verse, For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God. There's that language again an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, I don't think he's talking about Captain America, Robert Downey Jr., and Iron Man when he's talking about the avenger of God. Okay, That would be pretty sweet, but I have a feeling he's talking about something a little bit more serious. And so he's established that, look, the authority from God is set up for your good. Don't, don't resist. If you do resist, it's coming down to you. Okay, Some wrath is going to come down. Some judgment is going to come down because God has said, these are, my, these are the rules. And these are what you need to submit to. And if you don't, the servants of God in terms of authority will come and they will bring judgment. And so we see things like law enforcement, prisons, brokenness. We see these things because we find ourselves in a culture that resists authority, don't we? We find ourselves in a place where even on a small level, we, we speed and say that's not a big deal. I speed because I'm in a hurry, right? But I'm resisting authority when I do that. There's been rules established for my benefit for a reason. Probably not to speed going too fast, yada, yada, yada. So, although it may seem small, it it may seem like a no-brainer, God has established these things for our benefit. Okay? 1 Peter 2.13 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Okay? And so God in essence, is saying, I've put these guys to do my bidding on earth in some capacity in terms of judgment and wrath. And so when we disobey the law, there's consequences. There's punishment. You go to court, you go to jail, you get a fine, you get a ticket, etc. There are, there are punishments. There's judgment that happens when you break the establishment of rules and authorities 
And my friends, that's because God made it that way. So when we disobey the laws and signs of this area and we think it's not a big deal, it's just Rose Park, it's just Salt Lake, no, we're actually being disobedient to our Heavenly Father. Okay? Obedience is legitimate. Obedience to legitimate authority is one of the first fruits and evidences of Christian sincerity. Let me say that again. Obedience to legitimate authority is one of the fruits and evidences of Christian sincerity. And we all, we all know what this feels like, right? How many times have you guys have been in the moment and you've been in the car, you're driving, you look in the rearview window, and you have that gut-wrenching feeling that sinks into your gut when you see the lights flashing behind you? You guys ever experienced that? that at least for me, I have that gut-wrenching like, oh, and that, that gut-wrenching feeling is, I'm caught. I'm wrong. I did something wrong or those lights wouldn't be on. And those lights are about to tell me what I did wrong and make me pay for it, right? And so instinctively we know right and wrong. God has put that with inside of us. And so when we see the lights and we're, or whatever happens, we get that gut-wrenching that's our conscience speaking, saying you've done something, you've crossed the line, and you got caught. And that feeling is that gut-wrenching feeling. And so those of us with an authority problem, we need to be careful about resisting the things that God has set up for us for our benefit. Okay. So we represent God on this earth as kingdom citizens. We are to submit to His authority because they're for our good. If we don't do those things, we will be punished. There will be wrath. There will be consequences to those things. Um, But let me ask you this question. In, In terms of submission to authority, how well do you represent the kingdom of God? In terms of submission to authority in any aspect in your life, government, family, church, work, your own business, how well do you represent God and His kingdom in the terms of submission to authority? You see, we are supposed to be salt and light. We are supposed to have an impact on the culture and the society that we live in. And God is telling us through Paul in chapter 13, here's one way to do that. Okay? And here's the thing that I'd also never... I had never... uh, Never caught this until I was studying it this week, but so if if we are children of God, if we are Christians, we are servants, right? We follow Jesus. And if the authorities that God has established are also the servants of God, you've got two different groups of servants of God. What if those two servants of God work together for the good of our culture and our society? That's a good thought. I don't honestly think that way very often. Um, I should. This was convicting to me because on, on, at our house fellowship on Thursday night, we started talking about this. Some, some people have the view that, that if you're a Christian, you should stay as far away from government as you possibly can. Okay, the government is over there. I'm not getting anywhere near that, okay? Because it's evil and it's out to hurt me and it's out to ruin my life. Other people say, no, 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 no. It's all about government. It's all about government. This is where it's at. If you want to change anything, it's right here. Only government's going to make the difference. I think what Paul's trying to tell us is what about both? What about being a conduit to both? We are Christians and kingdom citizens first and foremost. Yet we live in a world that has governments and authorities. So why can't we, why shouldn't we be people that have influence in both? Can we do that? I think we can. And so we were talking about this at House Fellowship is, do we as Christians have any influence in that sector at all? Some do. Some don't. Different reasons maybe why or why not. But I think 
One author states this point really well and really pointedly, and he says that we as Christians must be an integral part of society. Influence does not happen by extracting ourselves from the world for the sake of our values, but by bringing our values into the culture. Okay, We are kingdom citizens. We have the light of the world. We have the truth. We know where hope comes from. We know where peace comes from. We know where brokenness gets healed. It's in the name of Jesus. And what if we take those values, the worldview, that faith, that belief, that truth, what if we take that and we get in the muck, in the mire, we get in the middle of all of it and we influence from within instead of hoping it changes from just being spectators from the outside? Okay, in order to live with integrity as Christians and act responsibly as kingdom citizens, we must obey God rather than men. We must submit, but we also must jump in and be involved. Okay, many of you are a part of that in Rose Park. You're on community councils. You're out of the Jordan River Parkway cleaning up trash. That is the first and right step, and there's a hundred ways we can do that. We can get involved in the community that we care about because we care about the community, the city, the state that we live in. We can bring our values and our morals, our truth from this book and be a part of seeing this place change for the sake of the gospel. Amen? Amen. If we don't bring the truth of the gospel into the culture that we live in, who's bringing it? Who's bringing it? If we just stay in our... And I'm, I'm probably the most guilty person in this room. If we just stay over here in our house and talk about, man, I wish that thing would change. Man. How active am, how active am I? And, that, and, how, and look at the distance. I don't have any proximity to the people that are in that circle. What if we all said, let's do this, and let's do this. What if we all came together and served as servants of God are supposed to for the sake of His kingdom and made a difference? And so the question that we talked about a little, bit, a little bit ago was, okay, well, that's great. Let's be involved, but let's be honest. There's a lot of corruption over there, right? There's a lot of things going on that aren't right. There's a lot of things that aren't going on according to the Word of God. What do we do with that? Okay, we see this in Acts Chapter 4, um, the idea that we have to submit to the, to the God first and authority second. Acts 4, you don't need to turn there, you can if you want to, but Acts 4 and 5, Peter and John, the early church is blossoming again, and they are preaching Christ crucified and Christ risen. They're preaching that message all day, and people are getting tired of it. They get arrested, they get brought into the Sanhedrin, and they say, look, you need to stop talking about this Jesus guy like, you're causing an uproar, and we're going to kill you or arrest you. But we don't really know what to do with you. Stop. And they're like, whether it's right for you to think that I should talk about our Christ or not, that's for you to decide. I know what I've seen. I'm paraphrasing. I know what I've seen, and I'm not going to stop talking about it. I was a witness to Christ crucified. I was a witness to Him risen again. I'm going to talk about it. And they did not submit, so they let Him go. And then Acts chapter 5 comes around. They still haven't stopped. Bless those, bless those early disciples. They were more tenacious than we probably are, at least myself. Acts 5.27. Let me read this for you. And when they had brought them, so this is Peter and John again are being brought again, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. I hope that's said of us someday. I hope that we are filling this city with the teachings of Christ. 
and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We are not going to obey anyone other than God. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him in his right hand as the leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so was the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So Peter and John say, look, I know you're probably mad. But we were witnesses to this stuff, and we're not going to stop talking about it. Why? Because our kingdom citizenship, kingdom citizenship supersedes all citizenship. Amen. As kingdom citizens, we obey God first, men second, never the other way around. Amen. If we do it the other way around, we are in a lot of trouble. Okay? And so the balance is, as Christians, knowing the difference of knowing when to do which. Knowing when to stand your ground and say, I am not moving from this hill. This is a conviction. This is the Word of God. I'm obeying God. Kill me, arrest me if you want, but this is the truth. And knowing when to say, I do need to submit to what they say. There's a balance and a discernment there that comes as we mature in Christ and as we walk in community together. And so, with living with integrity and acting responsibly as kingdom citizens... We must obey God rather than men when it comes to matters of our conscience, when it comes to matters of government seeking to corrupt our biblical worldview or telling us to deny Christ or this word. Okay, and we see that, verse 6 of Romans. Okay, so we go back to Romans 13, 6. For because of this you also pay taxes. Oh, excuse me, verse 5. Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So that's what we're talking about. We must obey God rather than men when it comes to matters of our conscience. Okay? So verse 6, he goes on, For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God. There's that language again. Servants of God, ministers of God. Attending to this very thing. Now, this is probably the, the most interesting piece that we get here because everyone loves to talk about tax season, right? Right? It's April, it's tax month. I know every year me and Nicole are kind of like, man, I sure hope we don't have to pay much in because we ain't got nothing to give back. Or I hope we get a couple dollars back. That would sure be great. So every year we face this tax thing. Everyone loves taxes. But I found this quote by Einstein, of all people. It says, of all the things in the universe, the most difficult to understand is the income tax. <laughs> and did you know if you put the words the and IRS together, it makes the word theirs. That's pretty interesting. So... I don't know who figured that out, but man, that's ironic, right? <laughs> There's. Um, so in Mark 12, we find that, that Einstein wasn't the only person confused about taxes. Mark 12 is the story where the Pharisees come and they say, Look, Jesus, you know, we know that you're not trying to get anyone's opinion, but I want to know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Okay, living in Caesar's empire. <laughs> so Jesus says, Well, bring me a denarius. Let me see whose inscription is on it. And they're like, Caesar's. And Jesus is like, Well... Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Render to God what is God's. Okay? And so, this is interesting because of all the people in all of that culture that should have known the answer, and they did, was the Pharisees. They were trying to trap Jesus into having Him say, no, you don't need to pay Caesar. You just, just do whatever you want. They were trying to trap Him. Okay? And so, interesting though, that this seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, we need to pay our taxes, but for some reason it's not a no-brainer because Paul mentions it specifically twice in the next two verses in a chapter that's all about submission to authorities. So I don't know about you, but I know Christians that have skimped on their taxes, that write off things for their vehicles that are not 
having anything to do with their business. Okay, those are all integrity things. Those are all things responsibly that we have to live responsibly in. And Paul's saying, even those things matter. Okay, because who are we? We are kingdom citizens. Okay, we are not of this world. Okay. So in order to live with integrity and act responsibly, pay your taxes. Be honest. Okay? Okay, as we wrap up here, check out verse 7. Pay to, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. In order to live as kingdom citizens with integrity and act responsibly, we must give honor and respect to whom it is owed. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4 says, First of all, then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God. Okay, and so when was the last time you prayed for our president? Pray that he would have wisdom in the decisions that he makes. Pray that he would have wisdom in the people he surrounds himself with, both personally and privately and publicly. <laughs> it's like, that's the same thing. <laughs> so when was the last time you did that? When was the last time I did that? Okay. When was the first time? Have you ever? Have you ever prayed for the officials that sit on the city council in Rose Park, this, the government officials that sit over the state of Utah? Have we ever prayed for those people and that they would make good decisions based on the Word of God? Maybe we pray that they would actually find salvation in Jesus if they aren't Christians. Have we ever prayed in that way for them? That's one way that we can show honor and respect and not fight. And how many people, how many times have we been in that circle where we dog all the governors of Utah, we dog all the presidential stuff going on, we disrespect them publicly and privately? When Paul clearly says we need to give respect to those people because you think their job is easy? You think it's easy being the president of the entire country? Absolutely not. I wouldn't want that job. I know he doesn't make a lot of money. I know professional athletes make more than he does, but he's, he's got the harder job all day. And so why don't we give honor and respect and say, I don't necessarily agree, but the office of president has been established by God, therefore I respect that. Okay? So in order, as we wrap up and we finish, I want to end talking about in order to live with integrity and act responsibly as kingdom citizens, I think the most important thing that we can remember in this topic is the ultimate example of submission to authority from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We just celebrated Easter, and on Good Friday when Jesus was accused of things that he didn't do, beaten to within a breath of his life, brutally mocked, spit upon, crowned of thorns, beat within an inch of his life, had to make him carry the cross all the way up to the hill, hung him on it, killed him, Three days later, he rose again. Jesus himself was submissive to authority. For Good Friday, we find Jesus in the garden praying, Lord, if there is any way that this cup can pass from me, will you please take it? And Jesus himself says, but not my will be done, but yours. Even Jesus himself, who knew the, the death that he was going to face, knew the brutality of what he was about to face for something he didn't even do, was submissive to his Father. Me and you have freedom. Me and you have life today because Jesus didn't resist that authority. Me and you have life and freedom, hope and peace, healing, reconciliation, because Jesus himself was a man enough to resist, to not resist the authority, to say, okay, God, not my will be done, but yours. 
Hebrews 5.8 says that although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. The Son of God. He was perfect. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If Jesus himself had to learn obedience, how much more do you think you and I need to learn obedience? Luke 22.42 is where Jesus said, Father... If you're willing, please take this cup from me. But if not, my, not my will be done, but yours. What if Jesus had resisted that day? I don't know where we would be. I don't know what society and culture would look like. But I'm sure it would not be as hopeful as it is today. Me and you and every person you know in this community, in this state, in this country, in this world has hope because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did, because he was not willing to do his own will. He was willing to do God's will above his own, no matter the cost, no matter the pain, no matter the suffering, no matter what it cost him, Jesus was submissive to the authority of his Father. Me and you have that same obligation if we are believers in Christ today. And if you are not a believer in Christ today, maybe today is the day you need to submit your life to Jesus. You need to submit your life to him as your king as the kingdom of God, as citizens of the kingdom of God, we want to invite you to walk with us in this journey if you are not a Christian today. Jesus can be your king. Jesus can be your Lord. He can be your Savior today. We would love to talk to you about that after the service. If you have questions about that, we want you to walk with us in that. We don't want you to continue in your brokenness, in your lostness, hopelessness. Those are things that are not of the kingdom. Those are the things of this world. And Christ came to relieve us from this world. As we enter into a time of communion, I just want to pray as we wrap this up. Father, I, I thank You that You sent Your one and only Son. And He had the character and the perfection enough to say, not my will be done, but Yours. We stand here today liberated, free, redeemed, because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Because He was willing to lay down every personal conviction He had for the sake of doing His Father's will. God, I pray that You would help us as Your people to submit to Your reign and to Your rule in our lives every moment of every day. That we would wake up and say, not my will be done today, Lord, but Yours. What would You have me do today, Father? God, as we come to a time of communion, I pray that You would remind us of the goodness and the graciousness of Your Son, Jesus. That He went to the cross, that He was brutally beaten, brutally beaten, so that You and I would have a chance for eternal life with You, Father. Thank You for Jesus. We can never say thank You enough. Remind us today, God, as we sit, as we take a moment to reflect God, move us, shake us. May we be thankful for Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. Redeeming Life Church is located in Salt Lake City, Utah. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit www.redeeminglifeutah.org.